Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. Today, I'm very excited to have with me Steve Kirby. Steve is a life coach out of the UK. He's a keynote safety speaker. His background has been in construction. He's got an incredibly powerful story to share with us today. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. How are you doing? Very well. So let's, let's get started with the, your story, because your story is mind-boggling when you first told me about it. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, my background is construction and demolition. Mm. Um, I've been a life coach for the last four years, and that's due to the story that I'm going to come back go back and tell you. So I started off as a site laborer, a site operative in, in demolition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked my way over a few years to get my 360 excavator card uh, and became a plant operator. Uh, I had a lot of experience on different sites. I moved from demolition to construction, uh, did a little bit in utilities. And then I was on a job 12 years ago. So I'd been in the industry for 12 years. I was on mm-hmm. a job 12 years ago. And we just had two weeks off for Christmas and we'd gone back and before the Christmas break, we had installed 60 meters of 600 mil pipe for a fire hydrant system. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine 60 people, 60 meters, wasn't just in a straight line. Um, and we needed it. We was told that section before I could dig the next section out, that section need hydrostatic pressure testing. Now, We'd, I'd never seen or had done a hydro test before, never, never witnessed it, didn't really know nothing about it. Mm-hmm. Four of the other guys, there were six of us in the team, they hadn't either, or one of them knew of it, but he'd never done it. Mm-hmm. But there was one, one guy working with us who, he had a, a streetworks card, and apparently that streetworks card gave him the competency to be able to do a hydrostatic pressure test. And he said that, he'd done, it, he'd done them before on different sites. Mm-hmm. So... On this day, um, 11th of January, 2011, so 12 years ago, we went through all the risk assessments, method statements, permits to work, and everything sounded and seemed really, really straightforward. Literally, fill the pipe with water until there's, there's water coming out of the, out the valve on the spigot end, close the valve up, and then put a compressor on and pressurise that pipe get it to 20, 28 bar of pressure. Once it's at 28 bar of pressure, then job done. Mm-hmm. So it sounded really, really simple. We, we get into, onto site after we'd signed all the paperwork. We get onto site, it's thick snow, it's freezing cold. And this trench was maybe about six foot deep. So it's not a massively deep trench, but deep enough. Sure. We, me being a typical digger driver, it was freezing cold, so I didn't really have much to do. I got into my machine, turned the engine on, turned the heaters on, and sat there. And that was my intention for the rest of the day. Until these lads had got this tested and I could start digging the next section out, mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't really have much to do. So the guys did what was told. We filled the pipe with water, put the compressor on, 
started pressurising, we were told to get it to 28 bar of pressure. And at about, it took about an hour to get to 3 bar of pressure. And at that point, on the test end, it, it started leaking on the flange, sure. just down the bolt. So the guy who had, who had the experience said, right, stop the compressor, get in there and tighten that nut and bolt up, mm -hmm. then nuts and bolts. Two members of the team was only 18, Anthony and Jordan, two young lads, and they was keen to, to crack on and do some work. They, they, was, they was eager to do some it. So straight away, both of them climbed into the trench, down the ladder. You've got one of them, if you can imagine, like the spigot end is 600, 600 millimeters round mm -hmm. and about a meter wide. It weighed 460 kilograms, so it's a big lump of steel. Anthony sat on the pipe, facing that way while Jordan stood in front of it so they could both get leverage to tighten up the nut and the bolt. Mm -hmm. They tighten it up to get out the trench. Turn the compressor back on. An hour or so later, it's at about five and a half bar, five bar, starts leaking again, but in a different area. Mm -hmm. So they do the same thing. We started at just after eight o'clock in the morning. By lunchtime, it was, it was at about 10 bar of pressure and it started leaking. So at that point, mm. I get out my machine. Something, something didn't feel right. So I opened my machine door and I said, guys, before you go any further, someone go back to the office sure. and, and, and speak to the, the manager, the supervisor, explain what's happening, see what he says. So one of the guys gets in the van. It's a five minute drive back through the site to the office. He explains we're at 10 bar. We've already had a couple of leaks and he went onto his computer and he went onto St. Gabin's website because they manufactured the pipeware. Mm -hmm. And he went onto St. Gabin's website and he just said, no, no, it states here it can be tested up to 38 bar. We're only going to go up to 28 bar. Carry on doing what you're doing, it's fine. So he came back, James came back, he said, no, he said, carry on doing what we're doing. At that point, the guys get in, tighten it up. Mm -hmm. It then gets to... Just after three, it was two minutes past three. I remember looking at my, at my watch. It was two minutes past three in the afternoon. And we finish work normally at half past, pack up at four o'clock. Sure. Now I'm thinking to myself, it's taken all day to get to 18 bar of pressure and it's, it's leaking. Right. I've only got less than an hour and we've still got another 10 bar to go. Mm. And I thought, there's no way I'm working late. I don't, I'm working late tonight. I, I want to be aware. So in my mind, I believe that all 24 nuts and bolts on that flange face wanted tightening up. The guys obviously weren't doing it tight enough. Sure. And at the time, I was, I was about 16 stone. I was bodybuilding. I was, I was a big lad. So I jumped out of my machine and I said to the guys, look, give me the, give me the harness because you have to wear a harness to enter the trench. I said, give me the harness. I'm going to go in, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tighten up all 24 nuts and bolts. Mm. They started laughing at me and saying, go on then, they used to call me fatty. So I was like, go on fatty, you go and do it. So I climbed into the ladder um, and I forgot to take the spanners with me. And I get into the trench and I'm stood directly in front of the pipe work. The trench, trench is only not much more than a metre anyhow, the pipe's 600 mil. Make sure. And as I reached up for the spanners off one of the other guys, off one of my colleagues, that's, I don't, I don't remember nothing in that moment, other than I reach for the spanners, and then next minute I'm I'm underwater, I'm trapped. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I am. I don't know which way's up. I I can't get out. I truly believed that I was in the local river. I believe I didn't know I was at work. I believed I was in the Humber. Mm. 
the only way I can describe it is like being in a washing machine. And basically what had happened is as I reached up, the pipe had failed, the spigot end had blown off. Wow. My eight-ton eight digger arm was not there as, a, as to stop it, but it was there in the trench. And the end of the pipe had hit my, my digger arm and moved that to the end of the trench, like a couple, a couple of metres. So the impact was, was huge. And and I was literally as that as that sixty meters of water had come out the pipe, mm-hmm. it was it was kind of washing around at the at the end of the trench where we was where well, where I was, uh, and I just couldn't get up and I was I was trapped there. I didn't know I was at work. I didn't know where I was, and I just remember my two boys was four and eight years of age at the time, Harry and Joe, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking to myself, I can't die, please, 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 I can't die, and when they say your life flashes before you, I was trapped under there now, what I know now for about 40 seconds. And in that 40 seconds, I was screaming for my mum. Mm. I was screaming for my kids, my, my partner at the time. I was praying to a God that I didn't even believe. I'm not a religious person. I wasn't a religious person. Mm. And I was praying and saying, please, please, I'm 32. My kids, I can't leave my kids. You know, like, mm-hmm. I just can't leave. And then all of a sudden, everything seemed to stop. And I, I, riz, I, I rose out the water, and as I rose out the water, it, it turns out Jordan, one of the young lads, the 18-year-old, had jumped in, seen me, grabbed what it, what was left of my harness and pulled me up. Mm. And as he, as he pulled me up out the water, people had heard the blast from other jobs and other right. areas. So all these people had run across and run over. And I just remember all of them looking at me and telling me to breathe, like screaming at me and saying, Steve. Sure. Kirby, Kirby breathe. They're like Kirby breathe, and I remember stood there thinking, I, I want to, but I can't. Will somebody please mm. help me? So as I'm stood there, my, what the guys have said now is my, my face was grey, my lips was blue, I, I was in and out of consciousness. As young Jordan threw me out the trench, the water was released, and I was able to mm. get my breath. Luckily, and and I just remember laying there, not not knowing what had happened it was just even even looking back now it's it, it was crazy that I, I can't i can't put into words how big the blast was and what the lads have said right and and people knowing what i know now people don't survive that incident and the fact i got dragged out of there and i still had my legs because mm-hmm. if i'd have been directly in front of it it would have cut me into right but i walked away from that physically with nine stitches in the back of my head my my overalls had been and my harness had been blown clean off, and as that was blown off, my arms must have gone mm. and and hyperextended, so I'd, I'd I'd overstretched my tendons and and injured my elbows, and my boots was found twenty feet away. Both boots was blown clean off my feet, wow. and my feet was hyperextended as well. So my feet, even today, I still have trouble with my feet, and I had pipe bedding like shrapnel stuck in my face my neck my head um but physically i i know how lucky i am it was mm. to be able to sit here now and talk about it it's it, it was a, it's crazy that i am still alive um right but then for me it was and why i share the story obviously there's lessons to be learned from that but it was my mental health i i never believed in 12 years ago, you didn't talk about mental health. You talked about right. depression. Somebody was depressed. And that was that was it. Yep. 
If somebody told me before the accident they was depressed, I was the guy saying, it's an excuse to stay off work, it's, it's all mm. in your head, you can, you can physically do it, crack on and, and get, on with your, get you on with your work. The very first night after that incident, I started having nightmares. As soon as I went to sleep, I was trapped underwater. I was, I was sure. screaming, screaming yeah. for my kids. And then as the days went on, it was the same. As soon as I drifted off, whether it was daytime or nighttime, I was trapped there. Mm. Even the smell of water, if I turned the kitchen tap on, the smell of water, I'd start shaking wow. and I'd, I'd, be, I'd be trapped under there again. Mm-hmm. And knowing what I know now, that's PTSD, but I sure. didn't know I had PTSD at the time. So physically, I was battered and bruised. You can imagine mm. 18 bar of pressure, um, air trapped in the... If it was just water, it'd have been fine. But there was air trapped in the pipe, so we'd created a cannon. So we had literally created a bomb without, without knowing. Um, so the amount of air that came out uh, and, and literally battered me, um, I, I struggled physically for about six months. But my mental health deteriorated from that first night. Mm. And my way of dealing with it was I'm going to have a couple of beers just to take the edge off. I thought if I have a couple of, couple sure. of cans of beer, take the edge off. I'll get some sleep. By the end of, after about five days, I was drinking anything I could get my hands on, whether that be cheap cider, vodka, anything. Um, Katie wouldn't actually go to the shop and buy me it. I physically couldn't go to the shop because mm. I, I couldn't move. Um, and Katie, me and Katie started arguing quite a lot because I was drinking too much. I, I used emotional blackmail with my mum and my sister and my dad because I'd be saying, will you bring me some alcohol? I need a drink. And Katie won't get me it. And they'd say, no, no, you, you're not having it. And I, I, I remember saying, look, if you don't get me it, don't come and see the kids because you're not seeing them. You're not seeing your grandkids. And I, I was nasty. I was, it was horrible. But that went on for about 12 weeks oh. of, me, of me self-medicating. And then it got to a point where I was angry all the time, I was agitated, the kids would want to play, Harry would want to come and sit with mm. his dad, and I would phys- I'd physically push him away and say, go away, go to your mum. Then I'd know that I'd done that, and I'd find myself sat in the bathroom crying my eyes out, and then I'd sit there for 10 minutes, splash my face, walk out, and Katie or my mum or anyone would say, are you all right? And I'd, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm all right, I'm dealing with it. But I wasn't all right, I was... You weren't I, right. I was, yeah, I was broke, I was broken inside. And I, the more I drank and the, the, more, the more I fell into that spiral of depression, looking back now, mm-hmm. I had a voice in my head. Now, we all have a voice in our head, but mm-hmm. I, this voice in my head was telling me that I was supposed to die that day. That was my day to die, and I cheated death. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like the, the, film, the film Final Destination, the right. kind of cheat death, and then it comes for you. And in my mind, that's what happened. I cheated death, and death was coming for me. So I was under physio and... I had doctor's appointments because of my injuries mm-hmm. and I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave the house because I dare leave the house because I thought if I leave the house, sure. not bad's going to happen. Then it got darker than that and I started to think, well, why am I waiting for death to come to me? Why don't I just do it myself? These would be better off without me. I was supposed to die. Mm-hmm. That was my day now. I've cheated it. And I'd sit there thinking of ways of, of ending it where my family wouldn't find me. But the only way I could think of that was was jumping off a bridge into water, which mm. after that incident, you couldn't. I was going 
Uh, I, yeah, I was petrified of, of water. Um, I didn't want to do it any other way if I didn't want them to find me. Mm-hmm. And and I was just I was in a really, really dark place. And then Katie said to me, well, we had a big argument, and she said, look, you need to get yourself sorted out. She said, mm-hmm. you're drinking too much, you're angry, you're sad, you, 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 your emotions are everywhere. She said, you need to speak to a doctor. And I started... She said, if you don't speak to a doctor, if, you, if you're not going to get help, then pack mm-hmm. a bag and leave because we can't carry on like this. And at that point, I started packing a bag to leave and I thought, well, I'm, I'll just go. But as I was packing my bag, I had a full-on flashback again of being trapped underwater, praying to a God, please, 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 I can't leave my kids. Mm-hmm. And there I am. Leaving. And I, I literally, had a, yeah. yeah, I literally, in that moment, I had a full-on mental breakdown. I had panic, a panic attack, couldn't breathe, completely sobbing. Katie rang a doctor, a doctor came out to me and he, he, he said, Steve, he said, you need to see uh, a, a mental health specialist, mm-hmm. basically, a, a therapist or a counsellor. He said, but I can tell you now you're suffering with PTSD, anxiety, depression. And, and they got me an appointment the next day to go and see a therapist. That therapist was, was well, the first therapist couldn't help me. Mm-hmm. I, I explained what had happened in the accident and and she said, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. I'm not qualified enough. She said, leave it with us. I'll get back in touch. We'll get you another appointment. Mm-hmm. And again, the way my mindset was at that time, I walked away from there think, thinking, nobody can help me. You know, like, I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. I went home that night, drank a, a full bottle of vodka, with hoping I wouldn't wake up, um, but I did. And that same day, another therapist ran me up, said, can I go and see her? And she basically taught me fight, flight, and freeze and made me understand that that voice in my head is my voice. Mm-hmm. It's just them, them thoughts are coming from, from me. I've just got to change it. I had fr- three months of therapy twice a week. And that's what led me on the path to, to what I'm doing now. Um, mm-hmm. when, my last, when my last session was over, she, I, she said, right, Steve, you've got two options. You can either go carry on drinking and doing what you're doing and and never understand what you've gone through or why you've gone through it. Or you can go and start to learn about the mind, learn about human mm-hmm. behaviour and start to understand exactly who you are and, uh, and why, you thought, why you're thinking the way you're thinking. Mm. My first intention was to go to the pub and, and get drunk. That was all I was thinking. I'm just going to go and get drunk. Um, but something stopped me and I thought about what she said and I went home and I, I downloaded a book called Free Magic Words and I, as soon as I started reading it, mm-hmm. I, can't, I got into it. And that book then led me to read hundreds of others, uh, but like The Power of the Subconscious Mind, mm-hmm. all sorts of, of mindfulness stuff, which mm-hmm. if you would have asked me to read it before then, I'd have said, oh, shut up, it's, it's a lot of rubbish. Do you know what right. I mean? meditation doesn't work, it's all, I can't, you can't do it. But the more I read, the more I opened my mind, the more I understood exactly who I was and where I was at and, and why I was thinking and feeling the way I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's took me on to now, the, the, the lessons I've learned, the courses I've been doing. It's, it's because of that what's created SK Life Coach UK. So I wouldn't change any of it in mm-hmm. a way. Um, maybe the way I treat my family, my mum. Mm-hmm. But... But the actual accident happening, I believe everything happens for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. The people I now help in my coaching and in the speaking, maybe 
I was supposed to go through what I went through and survive it in order to pass on that right. that message. Um, but yeah, and then four years ago, when I decided to set up SK Life Coach UK, mm-hmm. Steve K, the Life Coach UK, I got in touch with a client, and I'd, I'd never really looked at the accident up until that point. Even when, mm-hmm. when I was when I was going to start sharing my story, it was literally what I've just said, but in a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously pictures to back it up and, and give people an understanding. Right. The more I looked into it and the lessons that I actually learned from it, like we mm. had no training. There was right. no communication. That manager should have come out of his office. Absolutely. Not just looked on his computer. He should have come out and, talk and had a look himself. Yeah. What had, ha- what had happened, the two weeks we was off for the Christmas break, mm. the full area had flooded because it was quite a low area. There's uh, a lot of rain, lots of snow. Right. And the, the 60 metres of pipe that, we'd have been, that we installed, as we were told, perfectly flat, had, had flooded and the pipe work had risen in, in where there was joints. So there was in four metre sections and at each joint it had risen. Mm. So when we, start, when we filled it with water to do the pressure test, there was pockets of air in there because the pipe wasn't level. Right. And... And and that's literally would 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 created uh, a a cannon. Cannon, right? If if we'd have had training, if we'd have un, if we'd have known, sure. if we'd have had some understanding, we'd have known that that pipe always had to lay level. Right. It couldn't have peaks because there's chance of air in there, and you can't compress the air like you would the water to do the test because it it creates too much too much pressure. Mm. If that manager had come out of his office, he'd have seen that, stopped the job stopped us doing what we was doing, told us to strip it all down, put it right, and the accident would have would have never happened. Mm. If we'd have had the training in the first place, we wouldn't we wouldn't we'd have looked for that and it wouldn't have happened. Right. It turns out the the spigot end as well, what slotted into the pipework, it was a, a compression fitting. And that slotted into the pipe and then it's tightened up at the collar. And it had to be tightened to a certain torque in order to keep it in place. Mm. The guy, the guy who'd put that together didn't know that, and he just got a normal, a normal wrench, right. tightened it up as, as tight as he could get it, thinking he was doing the right thing, but it actually weakened the bolts and the nuts, and the and the the bead weld, so it would create a loose cannon between us without mm. even realizing, all because of a lack of training. Right. So. That's kind of all the lessons that that's learned, and that's what I get across to companies especially over here when I'm talking in person, it doesn't matter what industry you work in, mm-hmm. an accident can happen anywhere to any one of us. And if, if you don't fully understand what you're doing or you become complacent in something that you do regular, that's when it gets us, that's when it happens. Yeah. But then when I'd gone to the client and, and explained all this as well, mm-hmm. and said I wanted, to, I wanted to use all this in a presentation, I'm not going to name no names, but I want to start right. lessons, lessons learned along from a safety side of it, safety perspective, and the mental health, mm-hmm. um, now knowing what I know about mental health, I said, that I believe there's a need for it. And the, they tried stopping me and said, no, Steve, we don't want you to, we won't want you to do it. Our bosses won't want you to do it. And I said, well, you can't stop me doing it. It's, it's, uh, it's a yeah. life story. It's, it's something that's happened to me. I said, I'll get legal advice, but I'm, mm. as long as I don't mention you, you can't, you can't stop me. And then I went, he said, I'll leave it with me. I'll get back in touch with you and, and I'll let you know what's said. So I said, yeah. Anyhow, about three weeks passed and I still have not heard from the client. 
I'd worked on that site for a good 12 years of my career. Mm. And I, I, I tried calling him, I'd sent him emails, got nothing back. So then someone said to me, if I write to the HSE, the yeah. Health and Safety right. Department, if I, if I write to them, I can ask for the, the investigation report through Freedom of Information. Sure, what happened? Right. Yeah, exactly. And then I can use points of that in my PowerPoint yep. when I'm sharing the story. So, so, right, great idea. So I wrote to the HSE. I got an email back and it said, sorry, Steve, we've got no record of you on any of our systems. We don't know who you are. We've got no record of an incident. Unreal. So I thought, so I thought yeah. So I thought, well, I thought that's really, really strange. So I got, in, I, I emailed the client and I said, I've been trying to get hold of him for three weeks. And I said, why don't the HSE know anything about the accident? Right. And he, ra- he rang me up instantly. He said, you've spoke to the HSE? I said, I have. I said, um, I said, I just want some information to use. I said, it's, I said, but they don't know nothing about it. He said, oh, can you come to site and we'll, we'll explain how we report it and why. So I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. So I, they invited me to the site and I was expecting to see a full kind of investigation report, a folder, a laptop, something. And there was an A4 piece of paper on the table. And on, on this A4 piece of paper, there's a little box in the top and it said in this box, Operative injured during, uh, operative suffered minor injuries during hydrostatic pressure test failure, and it was it was reported he said as a dangerous occurrence rather than a riddle reportable. Right, serious. Right. So I said, right. So if that was just a dangerous occurrence, I said, if I was still if I was still in my machine and the lads was all around the trench and that pipe failed and we all went, whoa, that's That's a different story. Right. That's a dangerous occurrence. I said, I was stood in front of the pipework. I was literally blown up in a way. I was, I had stone stuck in my face right. and my head like shrapnel. My, I said, I suffered injuries. I, I needed stitches. I had physio for six months in my feet yeah. and in my arms. I was having to have cortisol injections in my elbows just to be able to right. move my, my, my arms. I said, but you're telling me that was only a dangerous occurrence. That's minor injuries. He said, yeah, because you didn't break any bones or lose any limbs, it was minor injuries. So I said, and on top of that, I said, I, I had to go and have therapy and see counsellors mm-hmm. for like over six months in order to get my head straight because I was suicidal because of... Right, what happened? That happening, what had happened. He said, yeah, I know. He said, but it, it, I said, and you're telling me it was just minor injuries. It was just a dangerous occurrence. And he couldn't look at me in the face. He just passed me this piece of paper and I walked away. I got back in touch with the HSC and gave him the number off the top of this form, what he'd given me, this dangerous occurrence. And she, she said, Steve, it, it hasn't even been reported as a dangerous occurrence because we'd still have it on our system. She said, so that's just something that they've generated in-house to show a client's principal contractors or whatever that they've, they've put a report in the paperwork the, it is a bit of template right. but she said it it, it it was never actually reported she said we've got nothing at all on our system but because it was over seven years ago the hsc physically couldn't do anything they couldn't look into couldn't it couldn't do anything wow 
This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. Why I'm passionate about this side of the story as well is I've now done quite a lot of work for Scanscare, which is a big company in the UK and in America, um, across Europe. And they had a fatality on, on one of their sites with one of the contractors three months after my accident. Uh, a guy died at uh, a, a pipe, a pressure tested mm-hmm. filled at three bar, three bar of pressure, three and a half, four bar of pressure, and he died instantly. Now, how I see it, if my incident had have, had have been reported in the right way, right. then the HSE had have put out some kind of briefing, newsletter, some kind of report, some kind of regulation, stating what had happened and what what not and what to do mm. in in on their sites and that could have prevented that fatality it could have prevented an, another similar accident happening right. had it been reported properly but because it wasn't reported there's nothing to there's, you can't learn from it if it's not if it's not reported but i looking back now those guys in, in that office mm. who if they'd have had a lost time incident would wouldn't have got their nde bonus and basically when you're rewarding companies for having no incident, yep. you're always going to get cover up. Right. And that's what, so going back to the, my accident again, they had their own on-site ambulance. And when the accident happened, after what, 15 minutes they came to, I was stripped naked, I was given work coats. They got me in the back of the ambulance, they put a, a bandage on the back of my head mm. to, to stop the bleeding. My face was battered, they, they put, I had a, a small cut here, they, they covered that up. They give, they, they give me a, a paper hazmat suit because they had nothing else in, in their on-site ambulance. Sure. So they just put me in a paper suit with, with work coats to keep warm. And then they took me in blue flashing lights, so I thought I was going direct to hospital. The hospital took me in blue flashing lights and then all of a sudden after a few minutes to stop the doors opened and I was in the car park and basically they got me out of their on-site ambulance put me in a colleague's car and told him to take me to the nearest medical facility which was a 10 minute drive away to go and get stitches in my head we drove, went there we get to the, the local medical um, mm. hospital it's a small, small little place on a, on a housing estate and the guy in reception said, oh, what are you here for? So my colleague said, oh, you need stitches. Didn't really look at me. I was sat, I was sat in there for half an hour in and out of consciousness before anyone came through. My goodness. And then, and then the nurse came through. She took one look at me and she said, what are you doing here? She said, what's happened? So I said, has the company not rang up? I said, I've been involved in an accident. Or James had mm-hmm. said it. She said, no, nobody's let us know that you're coming. And then she said, I can't help you. You need to be at A&E. You need to be at the emergency department. So she was going to get me an ambulance, but James said, by the time an ambulance comes here, I could have got him there in my car. He said, I've got him here, I'll get him to the rest of the way. When we get back in his car, the shift site manager rang James and said, what's happening? James turned around and said, we've been to the medical mm. um, 
the building. They can't do nothing for him. He's got to go to the A&E. He's got to yeah. go to medicine. Yeah. So we, the, all, the shift site manager was on the phone and then his words was, I think he swore, he said something along the lines of FNL. Mm-hmm. And then he said, right, make sure you're both on site tomorrow. And then he put the phone down. Then James got me to the hospital and I got stitched up and got all of yeah. the stone out and had lots of, of x-rays and, and whatnot. And then because I'd been unconscious, the hospital wanted to keep me in, but mm. all I wanted to do was get home to my kids. So I was like, I'm not staying. While I was trying to get me to bed, I was like, I'm not staying, I'm going on. I got home at about after midnight that night. The, the accident happened at just after three. I didn't get to hospital until half past six. Wow. So it was near, like three hours nearly before I even got seen, medically seen to. And, and then the next morning, I'd sign myself out of hospital, didn't sleep because I was having nightmares, I was having flashbacks. Mm. Every time I, I nodded off, I was reliving it. Eight o'clock the next morning, there was a knock at the door and it was a colleague from site had been sent to pick me up, to take me back to site to give a statement. So I was kind of, I couldn't move. I was, my arms was kind of stuck mm. in like a T-Rex position. Like, as I said, everything had diaper extended, come back and then it, it just, I couldn't move. Mm. I was, bat- I was bruised everywhere, I was battered. I said, I can't go to work like this. He said, I've been told you've got to come in to give a statement. So he, he helped me into the van. We go to site. I went straight to the principal contractor, to the MD and said, can I give my now so I can go home? He said, no, no, Steve. He said, I need to speak to the other five guys first, then I'll speak to you. Um, it'll be about half past one this afternoon. So I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, just go and sit in the office. We'll keep you topped up with coffee. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't worry. We're not going to send you out to work. Just You'll be all right. So I, I'm sat there, and one of my other a supervisor walked by, and he said, Kirby, what are you doing here? I said, they've told me I've got to come in to give a statement. He said, yeah, I bet they have. He said, they haven't brought you in to give a statement. They've brought you in because they don't want a lost time incident. Right, because now you've checked in. Right, so you're... Yeah, now I've checked in. Yeah. So he said, he said, get... Get in my van. He, I couldn't walk. Like I could, I could yeah. shuffle, but I couldn't walk. If he helped me into his van and he took me, took me home. The next day, the the contractor, the well, the principal contractor and the the client came out with a witness to my house to take a statement from home. Looking back now, mm. oh, then they sent they sent an occupational nurse to my house as well the day after that. And their words to me was, oh, they want me to say that you're going to be fit for work on Monday. This is on the Thursday. She said, they want me to say that you're going to be fit for work on Monday. She said, but I can tell you now, you're not going to be back at work for months, for a long, long time. And and then she she went away and she said, look, just just heal, just get better. Looking back now, if they'd have got me an ambulance, if they'd have rang an ambulance through, their their on-site ambulance wasn't, MOT for the public roads, so they couldn't have took me out in their on-site ambulance. That was for site emergency sure. only. So they took me in their emergency ambulance with flashing lights to the car park. But if they'd have got me an ambulance, the ambulance had, had informed the police because it's a workplace right. accident, and then it's the police's duty to inform the HSE. Right. The HSE involved, obviously, massive investigation into the right. whole thing, and and people would have been getting in a lot of trouble because it. It shouldn't. We shouldn't have been put in that position. Mm. Getting me on site the next morning, they had some like two point three million man hours about a lost time incident. 
if if Science had gone into fight that next day, there'd have been many guys at the top who wouldn't have got their end of year bonus. And that I've been told that by uh, an, a manager who, who since who since left. And he said it's it was they didn't report it because they didn't want a lost time incident on that. Mm. Don't, no company wants an LTI. Um, so looking back, it was just it was just one massive cover up. But if it hadn't been covered up, like I said, other companies might not have had fatalities that same year because of the lessons learned from that near fatality. Mm. So it's, there's many many lessons to be learned from it, and yeah. it's um, definitely a story if you like. Yeah. It's it's incredible because I've I've heard of stories like this in in other countries. Never heard of it in the UK. But essentially, to me, the main takeaway is that's the risk that happens when you start putting financial incentives. Yeah, is it starts warping what's the right thing I should be doing as opposed to actively caring for you. It's how do I make sure that this doesn't seem as bad. You definitely and so the. Impact in terms of reporting significant is a value in all of this for the organization, but for others too. Yeah, exactly. Well, the principal contractor who I was working for at the time of that accident ended up within months losing their contract. So they lost the contract and another tier one company was brought in. Whether they'll admit it was because of that incident, which they probably never would right. outright because it was all covered up and kept in house. and Sure. But, but yeah, that company lost the contract and everyone said, basically even the, the, the people who worked for the client, it was because of that accident, it was because of that incident. So that one accident changed a lot of lives. I mean, the, sure. when they say the, rip, the ripple effect from an incident, whether it's a fatality or whether it's not, it still has massive, massive effects throughout any business. Right. Uh, but again, this was 12 years ago. You'd think lessons learned mm. and move on. My uncle still works on the same site. And last year, back end of last year, he's stood near his van and there's a guy in a mule, uh, elevated working platform, driving towards him with a sun in his face. And this guy doesn't see my uncle, stood near the van. And mm. literally, the front right wheel drove into the back of him. The, the wheel uh, was like kind of trapped all the inside sure. of his legs and he, he went it was it was trapped against the van it was he was lucky not to or he was told by a doctor it was millimeters away from breaking both legs and the same thing happened to him now there's a different contractor on there now to when i was there but it's the same client same place sure and he was took to the nearest medical center to get checked out and he, someone sent him the next morning to pick him up to get him back onto site and put him on light duty for three weeks. Now, that, that accident was never reported. It was, I told him he should report it himself. If he ever has trouble with his legs in, in years sure. to come, there's no, there's no record of, of anything. And he was like, oh, no, it's not worth me losing my job. And I was like, yeah, well, that's, that's why I went in. I, I, I was worried about my job. Mm-hmm. At, at that time, I was living like a lot of contractors, week to week on my wage. Sure. Um, didn't have savings. So it was, you, you, you are concerned for your job, and that's why when they're telling you to do certain things, like come in the next day, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I will. I will. Don't matter how you're feeling, you, you don't want to lose your job. But at the same time, it's not worth it. I mean, it's, 
if, if something goes wrong, report it. If if you're not trained to do a job, don't do it. If yeah. your you, you, you like, your life isn't worth your job, there's yeah. plenty of other jobs out there um, mm-hmm. with companies that treat you right. So again, that's why I get that message across. If if you're unsure, stop and ask. Don't yeah. don't don't just struggle alone. Whether it's mentally or whether it is your job, never never just struggle alone because all you've got to do is ask, reach out for help, and there's always mm-hmm. somebody who listens to you. I think as well for as we talked about for for leaders, it's also reflecting in terms of what's the impact that some of these metrics, these incentives are driving. Uh, how do I test to make sure that the companies I work with have the right culture where they're not doing things like what you described, um, yeah. that that they are encouraging reporting, they're trying to learn, they're trying to drive the right insights, but also that you've got the right pieces around communication, training, leaders that show up the right way. Like you said, he should have come to look at at the work as opposed to just look at a website. Yeah. Yeah. It was too it was too busy, so he just looked at yeah. the the what what is stated on their on their mm-hmm. website as to putting this pipework together and testing it and yeah. it's like yeah it can be it can go up to thirty eight bytes fine. I every talk I do now, wherever I'm whoever I'm speaking for, if I'm doing if I'm speaking to supervisors and leaders, yeah. I'll I'll state look don't be that guy. Mm-hmm. If one of your guys comes up to you and he's unsure of something or she's unsure of something, yep, get, stop what you're doing and go out there and have a look because mm-hmm. you'll see it from your own perspective then and that could save a life it could save a serious injury it it can save not just them but it saves the company millions of pounds as well right. and if if it goes wrong but i mean it's get out there and check for, for the for the welfare of, of the employees don't just be that guy who says yeah yeah carry on you'll be all right mm. or go, go and google it <laughs> so, I mean, if you're unsure go and google it it's that isn't the way to be. It's, it's about safety culture and yeah. within the company, within the business. And if you've got the managers, the, the supervisors on board with that right, that mindset, that culture, that will spread right throughout any company, any business. Mm-hmm. And it's talking to people in the right way. It's employees trusting that they can come and speak to you. They can stop a job and not get in trouble for stopping the job because of time, contract, all the rest of it, we we know that mm-hmm. there's deliveries on sites daily. If you've got so many hundred ton of stone getting delivered, but you stop a job because someone's unsure of something, everything falls behind. But again, right. you you deal with that as and when your life or somebody's life always comes first when when it comes to safety. Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies, a lot of companies I've worked with over the years, over the, over the twenty years, and a lot of companies that I even now speak to. Some of them will say to me, safety is our number one priority. And I'll, I kind of laugh and say, no, it's not. <laughs> Safe, safety is never going to be a number one priority because it costs too much. You need to be earning money in order to run a business. To have a mm. successful business, you need to be earning profit. You need to be meeting contracts. You need to be right. meeting time, dead deadlines. Safety could be on par with that, mm-hmm. which it should be. Safety should be on par with whatever you're doing. That culture should should be level across. No shortcuts whatsoever. If, if you if you need TPE, if you need safety equipment, if you need guards, if you need barriers, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Everybody on site should know all the regulations. They should know all the procedures. As long as all that's in place, it, it's on par. But 
safety will never be number one because a lot of companies sure. just go bust, they just go under. So you've got to have that culture within the company. Mm-hmm. And I, I know of a lot of companies who, to even getting me in can be just a tick box. Mm-hmm. They've got someone in to speak, right. but then I'll speak to the guys afterwards and they say, oh, nothing's changed. They're like, mm-hmm. we're still doing this. We're still having to do that. We're still... And I, can, I now kind of get that message across mm-hmm. that when I speak to companies, I'll speak to the managing directors and I'll say why I'm doing this and what I'm passionate mm-hmm. about and the changes they need to be implementing in order to have that safety culture right throughout the site. It's got to come from the top right. in order for the guys lower down to, to follow them, them procedures. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's, it'll never be number one priority because companies can't afford that, but it is, um, it should be on par. Or number one value. It's how we do it's the defi- work. It's definitely different. number one value. Yeah. Yeah, there's defi- definitely number one value. And give, and again, that comes to making sure the employees have got everything that they're needing. Yeah, exactly. For and, and having the confidence to be able to say, I'm struggling with this. Or if, the str- if, if there's a lot of pressure on them mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stress and, and they're going through a lot of stress and they're, they're taking that arm with them on an eye and they're having to drink self-medicate to calm down a little bit they should be able to explain that they're overstressed yep. and some of that pressure taken off them but it doesn't work that way some somebody tells somebody that they're overstressed and they're not managing and that they're, they're maybe drinking too much then they're told right we'll get somebody else mm. so i mean and you, you 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 kind of you're told either do it or you lose your job basically and right. and that in the situation that people should find themselves in you should each company should be able to help their employees if they are stressed, help them where they're dealing with that stress and take it, take that stress off them a little bit. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not risk, not not threaten the jobs. Right. It should be working with them and, and helping the staff. And again, it's that mindset for our business. If everyone's Correct. working together, if you you speak to somebody in the right way, you'll get a lot more work out of somebody if you're appreciating them than you are if you're kind of belittling them and and talking down to them and and it's trying to get that throughout the business in any, mm-hmm. in, you know don't matter what size the business is um all businesses all all companies if you're talking to people and you're acting in the right way then they'll follow they'll follow you and they'll yeah. do the same it it's about creating that culture thank you steve really appreciate you coming and sharing your story it's a very uh powerful but thought-provoking story as well uh, so, so thank you for, for coming to share your story, but also for sharing it to other audiences. So tell me a little bit, if somebody wants to engage you for a uh, presentation in their organization, or uh, I know you do also some life coaching, tell me how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so basically you can Google SK Life Coach UK, which is Steve Kirby Life Coach UK, and all of my social medias will come up. So there's the website, there's LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and um, business page on Facebook. You just go to sklifecoachuk.com, uh, all the information's on there. I normally, I prefer to talk in person because mm-hmm. the message comes across. I've got of obviously pictures of the accident and, and the guys, or not just the guys, there's a lot of women construction, but they can relate to me mm-hmm. as to who I am and what, what I've, I've done the work they're doing. Right. Rather, than, rather than just being some guy who's gone to university and studied the mind and, and coming in to talk to him about it, I've actually done what they've done for the last 20 years. 
and mm. now I've found myself in this world because of an accident. So I talk about the accident and the mental health side of it. Um, but I also do it online as well. So I, I do, it, it does work as well when I mm. share the screen and, and, and share the presentation online. So any companies want to either book me in person or for online, just just go to sklifecoachuk.com. Thank you, Steve. Have a lovely day. Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.